0: The NBA
1: draft lottery is over and the New Orleans Pelicans spent the last seven years failing to put an adequate team around the last generational prospect to go number one in the NBA draft. And now they will get a chance to try again with a new management group, new owner, Zion Williamson, going to the New Orleans Pelicans in all likelihood here as the number 1 overall pick a lot to unpack in this lottery we'll do that first that we got to get to Portland and Golden State some more news that has come in as well here but what stood out to you the most from the lottery as far as what the consequences are
2: we really did see the impact of both forms of reform that happened so the one that got a lot more attention was the equaling or balancing out comparatively of the odds so the the best the best odds were only 4 14%, the Knicks ended up, you know, not getting the number one pick, but balancing that out more across the board, you know, these, these, some of these low chances really did pay off for, for teams. And so that, that had a couple of ripple, ripple effects. One was those teams moving up. Of course, that's a really obvious one. But another one that was really important was some teams moving down and moving down significantly. That was, that's important. And some of those are the, the most talent bereft teams in the league. I thought that's really important. But then the other thing that, that hasn't gotten as much attention, and I want to take a beat to talk about it is moving from three lottery lottery team like three teams being chosen by the lottery to four i think that was significant as well because that gave cleveland and phoenix in particular, more room to fall. There was, there's no guarantee that if you had the worst record, you were going to, that you were going to finish no worse than fourth. And if you had the second worst, you were going to finish no worse than fifth. There was, there was more room and we saw some of that come into play. So not only did you have unlikely teams moving up, but throughout the lottery, you had a lot of teams moving down and how much that matters. You know, we, you and I haven't done much of our draft prep yet. So we, we can't say, you know, okay, the Hawks moving from the fifth pick all the way down to eight, like that, that's, that's, that's definitely bad but we don't know how bad it is yet because we'll have to see you know where where we're drawing the lines but if that's what the league wanted if the league wanted for teams that were a little bit better you know for the tied for the seventh eighth ninth worst records to finish with the first and second picks they got what they wanted they're definitely interesting destinations
1: let's just go in order here number one overall pick new orleans pelicans shamshirania reporting that anthony davis's stance on no longer wanting to be in new orleans has not changed perhaps Perhaps this makes it more likely that new orleans would simply hold on to him at least until the trade deadline and say hey you know what we think zion is so good here that you'll be so impressed by him that maybe you would want to resign now they could not ink him to that designated veteran extension for five years 221 million dollars once the season begins but they could always give him that contract as a free agent next season and david griffin is making all of the noises that you would expect about, oh we wanted to convince him to stay blah 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 very very likely that that is just noise I don't know if Griffin has had a chance to actually meet with ad yet or not but it could just be trying to create the appearance of some internal leverage that oh if your offers aren't good enough we're gonna just hold on to them, and that there might be some point to that that's consequence number one I still think very likely he gets moved this summer my second thought is from a basketball standpoint and a coaching standpoint this is one of the better places for Zion to go. Alvin Gentry has a ton of experience over the last few years working with Biggs, putting them in position to attack off the dribble, bring the ball up, get mismatches. He started with the Demarcus Cousins and AD, giving them a ton of freedom in that regard. And then Julius Randle, who is a, I think, Zion's backers' hope. A very poor man's version of what Zion can be on offense obviously Zion much more intriguing defensively than Randall but Randall had a, a very nice year offensively for the Pels you know those are, are similar players similar body types similar limitations with the jump shot obviously Zion is supposed to be a much better version though uh, of that player on offense so in terms of just the fit and the coach we worried that he might go somewhere where he's going to get stuck with another traditional big where they just weren't going to have the imagination to use him, and I think Alvin Gentry has shown that he can do a great job of maximizing a player like Zion. So that's a a really good thing as far as a basketball fit from a marketing standpoint. I'm sure he is not particularly happy, but so be it. And also with the the addition of Aaron Nelson from the Suns, the longtime Suns trainer that David Griffin had a relationship with back from his Phoenix days, the Pel's terrible health record will hopefully now be a thing of the past. And it seems like they are investing more resources throughout the organization anything else you want to add uh, from the pell standpoint here
2: yes and that is the idea of timetable of contention or what their yes. what their focus area is here yeah
1: this is huge
2: zion i don't think that it'll be too different from from other rookies where his best years are going to be significantly after he comes into the league now you you wonder if maybe some of the physical stuff if they're if it, you know if some of those things do wear down his body i mean he's so big and he jumps so high you know like all those sorts of things if those do wear down his body maybe his prime is a little. Bit earlier, but the real difference with the best prospects is that they can start providing positive value earlier on, and that very well could change not only David Griffin's philosophy for what they receive in an Anthony Davis trade, and I think that's an important place to start, but also how they approach Drew Holiday, how they approach free agency, cap space, however they're going to, however they're going to do all this stuff, because you're you're still looking. Into the future. Zion's best years are not age 19, 20, and 21, but you could be better sooner. And so maybe that opens the door for Jalen Brown being more interesting than some 2020 draft pick. And shifting New Orleans' timeline a little bit could have some major ramifications in terms of what they value. And, and that's the most important thing a lot of times in terms of trades. Like we, we you could draw a billion different examples of this, like whether a GM likes a specific player, like let's say David Griffin doesn't like Lonzo Ball, let's say theoretically, then that really changes the quality of the Lakers offer from a relative perspective. If he just sees this is a more immediate concern, then that benefits certain teams offers and that hurts other teams offers.
1: You would imagine that Griffin, seeing how LeBron James succeeded with shooting around him, will be very cognizant of trying to provide that as well. And Alvin Gentry, I mean, he came from a system where they played Amari Sotomayor at center a lot of the time. So my hope is that they will embrace trying to play Zion at center more early. Maybe it'll just be too much of a pounding on him to start at center, but you know, then hopefully they can find a center who can space the floor for him to go to work, and then he could close games at center maybe they just don't want him starting at center with all the other adjustments he's gonna have to make being a, a big ball handler big score to also have to learn how to deal with post defense and rebounding matched up one-on-one against nba centers maybe that's too much for the, the very beginning we saw it was a little too much for someone like jaron jackson although they're, they're different players yeah it's really gonna be enormous we'll talk more about this in new orleans offseason preview to be sure of what ad offers are out there now that's coming to closer focus and those offers probably have improved now too with new york getting the third pick you know that's not terrible but it's still a a good asset la getting the fourth which they weren't expected to have a a pick like that but i could very easily see them prioritizing more younger more established players than necessarily future draft picks although those certainly are nice to have and then just the question of how good they're going to be next year too do they need one more high draft pick your only problem is you can't really assure yourself of that the way you used to be able too so uh and then what happens with holly it's gonna be absolutely fascinating from a, a team building standpoint um there are a lot of places i didn't want zion to go i do so i am sort of annoyed that new orleans is, gets another chance after kind of blowing it with ad but this is a new group there now and uh it's a lot more interesting than a lot of places and i trust that he'll be in a place where he can be made to look good early on let's turn to memphis now
2: another really interesting situation
1: yeah so they were in a situation where their mode pick outcome was with nine had that been the case their pick goes to boston this year instead they move up to two so that pick now rolls over their obligation to boston top six protected in 2020 unprotected in 2021 john morant is the likely pick here although you never know it, it could they could be end up being more interested in rj barrett we haven't had a chance to get in and, and weigh in on, on who, who we think should be the pick there yet uh, but it definitely seems like the consensus is it drops off significantly after barrett and that morant is uh, a very solid number two on most boards if we'll assume that he'll be the pick there for now that means that mike conley certainly is going to be back on the trade block he also seems to be even more fed up with memphis the firing of jb bickerstaff we haven't heard a single peep about who the hell they're hiring as coach by the way uh so looks like a conley trade could be in the offing here Uh, morant and Jaron jackson jr very interesting combination especially if the next coach really starts to take more advantage of some of that shooting ability that it appears that Jackson has. Morant is an excellent driver. Jackson, probably more of a pop guy than a roll guy, but I think he can do both to some extent. And when you have a point guard who can really drive to the basket a lot, this is something that Aaron Jackson talked to me about years ago when I had him on the show, is that a lot of point guards who can really get to the basket, they prefer having a guy who can pick and pop a little bit more necessarily than a guy who rolls to the rim and kind of takes up a little bit more space in there. so those two could be a very nice fit together. This also changes the
2: nature of their obligation to the Celtics, because the youth movement would be much easier to start in Memphis with Conley theoretically getting traded, and so it's top six protected and then unprotected. So what, what Memphis might do is just be a little bit more ambivalent, but they could also just be young and not particularly good next year. And then it goes into an unprotected pick, and then at that point you just you play your season the way it's going to go. You, you, you don't try to tank at the end of it, but you, you play it. And so so that could end up being a decent asset for Boston. We we don't know exactly in the 2021 draft. No idea how it's going to compare to 2019. I think that's interesting. And another important positive for certain teams in the theoretical Mike Conley sweepstakes. The ones that I'm thinking of here are Indiana and Utah. Now Memphis doesn't particularly want a point guard in a Mike Connolly trade, and that's good because those teams don't have.
1: It. So <laughs> yeah, D- Detroit's another rumored destination. Yeah, so
2: or, you. Or that. So sometimes that gets into a problem of like a, te- a team that wants to trade somebody but they don't want to be left at that position especially when they don't have cap flexibility and depending on what a Connolly trade is memphis probably won't so morant you can do that and maybe they want to they they could try the whole like have connelly as a mentor and then move him at the deadline type of thing but i'm guessing the offers are going to deteriorate he's getting older you want him for a full season point guards can you know like they're, they're such an important part of the offense integrating him can be difficult especially on a team with lofty aspirations yeah. so.
1: and Connolly does also have an an, an ETO yes he does for 34 million next year which you would think he probably opts into but if he plays as well next year as he did this year he, he probably opts out of that you never know right. so, I mean,
2: it could be similar to the Horford situation where sure. he takes he takes less money for that 2021 season in exchange for a longer term contract because you know if, if the money's there then he might as well take it and remember that a team that trades for Connolly gets his full bird rights so that's useful for them as well I think we can move on to the Knicks absolutely moving from no Number one to number three is disappointing, not only because they shouldn't be.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, uh, like math wise, it absolutely right, shouldn't right. be, right? I mean, they, they had a higher pick here at three than their median outcome. Their most likely outcome was five 48% of the time and they had a 60% chance of picking below here so if you're actually a realist you should be happy if you're a, a Knicks fan even though of course you know they had dreams of Zion and they it, but you know there's this feeling if you have the worst record that you're entitled to the number one pick and uh that was never the case and now it's really no, not the case 12.5% chance is all it was so I think to be number three it, you know you could have been Cleveland or Phoenix and really been screwed
2: yeah that's a great point and the Knicks now get a more complicated scenario especially when you consider that they probably won't know and i'm gonna use i'm using the word no deliberately here what's happening in free agency when they make their pick and some of the players they could be considering might not mesh perfectly with some of the players that they want to get in free agency that's a challenging proposition and maybe Uh, yeah
1: well and let's be specific there rj barrett is a terrible fit with Kyrie irving and kevin durant
2: yes he is and barrett i I think there are reasons to believe that some of what happened to Duke could be toned down and And that but he's still you know, he he likes to have the ball in his hands and he's not nearly as good offensively as those guys. And Barrett has defensive potential, but he's not all the way there yet. And his timeline is not the same as Kyrie and KD's. So
1: yeah and moreover i mean we'll see maybe he ends up being a difference maker but uh it's hard to see that right now i mean basically i'm i am have not watched a ton of film movies he got a lot better i think from where he was at the junior level but for what i saw from him at the junior level i was not coming away thinking all right this is like a future superstar maybe i'll feel differently after i watch more but uh and, so
2: and so then maybe they they could use the three pick to trade for somebody else they could be an established guy like anthony davis it could be i mean i i don't know if they have all of the m. I do not love Kevin Knox. That's even being polite about it. No Kino's value is at a hopefully a nadir because hopefully he'll be better next year. And then they have these other draft assets from the Porzingis trade. Yeah. They De- had Dennis
1: Smith also.
2: Dennis Smith. And so yeah, I mean maybe maybe they, some of that gets like you'd have to go, you have to go deeper into the war chest now because the three pick is not nearly as desirable as one, or in certain circumstances too, depending on how David Griffin feels about John Morant. The Knicks could also theoretically move down if our RJ Barrett is less interesting to them than he is to other teams. Maybe you can pick up something from Cleveland or Phoenix or Chicago. who is somebody who likes him. Whoever, whoever that could be. They could, you could take advantage of that circumstance. And also theoretically, that would also, if you're trading down and keeping that subsequent pick, then that lowers the salary of that pick for cap purposes and everything else. So that could be a possibility as well. Or you trade for the future. And I do think that teams are going to approach future picks differently. And this lottery is a good reminder of that. That if it's a a really bad team maybe that pick is a little bit less valuable than it would have been in other years but if it's a clear non-playoff team that might be okay you know even though it is only like a five percent chance i don't know maybe maybe you have an understanding that one out of 20 is still intriguing
1: yeah and also they could be in a situation where maybe it's not anthony davis that they want to trade for and remember they got those two dallas picks coming in the future and those picks are a little more valuable now because the dallas pick did convey to the hawks so that moves the obligation to the Knicks closer in time as well. So I think, you know, whether Barrett and some future picks or, you know, what do they think of Dennis Smith in New Orleans? Also, there's the issue that if you're going to make a trade for someone, maybe it's not AD who's making the max, you're going to have to probably sign Barrett and then aggregate him together with some other salary. Actually, that's something we should probably calculate. So they could put together if they guarantee Damian Dotson and assuming they lay wave Lance Thomas they could put together 24 million 24.6 million if they were to sign the number 3 pick and then include him in a trade which you can't do for 30 days after he signed remember that's the Andrew Wiggins rule so depending uh well it would be 125% of that either right. way that's the most that yeah, they could yeah so so
2: that 125% of Davis's salary for next year assuming the trade happens after the league year turns over is or, about
1: or 80% of Davis's salary
2: yeah is uh 21.7 million the number yeah,
1: that so I so they would have enough there but they, they they would have to sign the draft pick uh to trade for davis or you know if it were someone making more than that then it, you it could run into even further problems uh la this pick seems like even more trade they're really the fact that darius garland is is mocked to go there when he played what four games this year at, at vanderbilt shows you just how much of a drop-off there is a, considered to be you have guys who are really just more project more as role players even if they work out pretty well uh, aside from garland hard to imagine Imagine considering LeBron's timeline usually I'm for keeping draft picks it really to me just doesn't make any sense at all to hold on to this pick and this is pretty interesting though for LA because maybe you can get your second star under contract we'll talk more about who that might be in their offseason preview but maybe you get your second star you know someone who's not as high level as, as Anthony Davis but someone who could really help you out and then you still have a, a fair amount of cap space to work with now whoever they get will be making more than that pick will and they'll have to include some other salary there as well and that could get complicated so you're probably gonna face some issues getting three stars on the roster but maybe you get the second star and then you still have room to, to fill out with some role players as well it certainly helps them out a, a lot and well, you know again we don't know what david griffin thinks of some of their assets for ad but this certainly helps their chances.
2: and they could go after a series of different people just who are who are under contract and then you i'm sure you meant this but just to say it outright if they can solidify that deal before free agency starts then you can also use that player as a part of your pitch like hey you're not just coming to play with lebron you're coming to play with lebron and trade acquisition x even if the deal hasn't been formally consummated if it's announced and so that gives gives that player a bit of confidence maybe that combination is a better fit for their talent
1: all right we'll we'll go through rapid fire here cleveland oof this hurts it does they really need another difference maker for this rebuild at five doesn't seem likely to happen now, what does that mean for the Kevin Love trade? There isn't quite as much urgency to move on from Love as far as their own pick next year, because you know you're not improving your odds that much by being a bottom three versus you know number six or number seven seed in the lottery. But it also makes you think, hey, you know what? If we don't move Love, then we're just going to be stuck around this level for even longer, and we got to just accelerate the rebuild here by moving on from him. But really difficult to see. What the plan was, but the Suns bulls Cavs, all had pretty rough luck with three teams jumping uh, above all of them uh, into the lottery at least you you would have hoped if you're cleveland all right well you know then maybe maybe phoenix and new york get two of the three picks and we're not or or really it's uh, phoenix you would hope that cleveland maybe gets it and so you're not pushed quite as far down i mean they a three slot drop for all of these teams from five to nine uh is pretty rough here uh and that's Exactly what the NBA wanted, of course. Um and, and Phoenix, that yeah, lead, that
2: leads us straight into uh unless you want to talk specifically about Phoenix. I was gonna say the team that I think was hurt the most by the lottery this year is the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. The Hawks, not only did they fall far themselves, but also the pick they got from Dallas ended up becoming tenth overall. It did convey this year, but I mean tenth is, is a is less inspiring than well could.
1: and remember this too, Dallas finished in a three way tie at thirty three and forty nine with New orleans and memphis both those teams that ended up moving up uh, as well so to have dallas be the 133 and 419 that doesn't move up and then the fact that they didn't win uh, that, that they're last in that drawing i mean it's been it's been pretty unlucky for atlanta overall
2: right and so now the hawks get both those picks they and they're eight they're eight and ten their own pick at eight dallas's pick at ten and also you could argue that cleveland you know ending up at around fifth that means it's less likely that cleveland's pick is going to convey next year that's top 10 protected so another weaker asset for the atlanta hawks they could still get difference makers to be sure yeah. but it, it's harder
1: yeah and dallas is a loser as well here they had decent odds of moving into the top four themselves and holding on to this pick, which they did not expect to be in this position supposedly when they made the trade for Doncic, but with porzingis presumably back next year with them going to use 30 million in cap space that's going to potentially disappear going forward that it's going to be difficult to roll over with Porzingis presumably making more money going forward here this was kind of their one chance to get a high pick and they didn't get get it they'll have their pick next year in 2020 uh, unless they like to trade it on draft night or after it's made i should say but presumably they're going to be a lot better and that's not going to help them very much um i don't think we have much else to say on anyone else except for boston unless you had anything else on the hawks there
2: no not particularly yeah i mean so boston has a couple of different things so they they didn't get a better pick from sacramento than the 14th sacramento having a much better year than anticipated really did hurt the value of that asset sort of paralleling what happened last year with the Cavs in the Brooklyn pick that became Colin Sexton. You know, there was hope that that could be even stronger than it was. And that, to a point, offsets the Memphis situation. I would say that this could produce a more a more valuable pick because if Memphis isn't great in 2021, the 2020 2021 season, then Boston could get something valuable then. It could also be a circumstance, and this is, I, I could imagine Danny Ainge trying to pull this off, where you take advantage, like he did in the Kyrie Irving trade, of like, oh, it's a mystery box. It could Be anything, yeah, and and that's what
1: that's what really is valuable. And moves
2: the and moves that pick before it becomes anything because the structure, as it always is for an unprotected pick, is that team's gonna you know it's not necessarily that they're gonna push hard for every win, but that they're more indifferent. So maybe they can they go a little bit more veteran heavy. They don't tank as hard as other teams do, and and that could be really useful for Boston if they've moved the pick.
1: Yeah, and I think having that in the future really helps. Also, we can finally tally up the damage from that trade that fladdy devots made to clear cap space on July first, of twenty fifteen, so they could sign Bellinelli and Kufos and Rondo. They had the pick swap in twenty seventeen, where they went down from three to five. As a result of that pick swap, they originally drew three. Sixers drew five. They had to swap that that pick. Then, of course, was included in the Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum trade, and then, of course, they lose the fourteenth pick in twenty nineteen. So, actually, not as terrible as it looked. Well, at es- one time,
2: especially if they weren't going to take De'Aaron Fox at three which theoretically we, we don't know what, what Sacramento would have done there but
1: yeah I mean yeah I mean Fox you can after these playoffs you might argue that Fox is uh is better than Tatum and that actually worked out uh, okay and then uh the fact that they had this unexpectedly great year and and were uh gave up the 14th pick ended up not not being quite as damaging uh should we hit some news here before we do Golden State Portland
2: yeah we could push back Golden State Portland I have I have no problem whatsoever with that and where I want to start is thankfully with Brett Brown not being fired that would have been I think that would have been a pretty significant mistake and Josh Harris told ESPN and Woj on Monday night that he's sticking around and it would have been also something I thought about over the last couple of days as it was you know, rumored percolating all that kind of stuff is that Brett remember, think about that Brett Brown basically was their lead executive during a lot of the like draft type stuff last year because Ellen Brand didn't get the job until later yeah. and that would, be pretty, would have been a pretty amazing drop from being like the not only the coach but to the kind of de facto GM to losing the GM spot, which was always fine to to losing it. But Brett Brown was the best option for them. I don't know how that affects their planning, but I'm happy he still has the job.
1: Yeah, Mark Stein had reported in the lead up to game seven that a second round exit meant that it would be tough for Brett Brown to survive. They did have that exit in heartbreaking fashion. Woj then shortly after reported that Brown would be retained. He actually had agreed to an extension that hadn't even started yet. And I'm sure that was at a pretty significant significant number stein tweeted that he was just wrong uh and he was told by two sources that was the case and that turned out not to be the case and i i believe mark because clearly josh harris could easily have nipped these rumors in the bud at any time by just saying he was going to return next year regardless of what happened and Harris gave a press conference that was originally supposed to be his end of the year press conference before the playoffs even started and then ended up doing another one today or maybe it was yesterday I can't remember but perhaps this was They realized that the optics were ridiculous. Perhaps they fought really hard and losing on a shot like that, he wanted to give him a chance to come back. Perhaps they took a look at the landscape of the old coaches and there weren't any that were going to do a better job than him, which I find the most compelling reason to hold on to him. So uh, he will return and now it's up to Elton Brand to find a backup center this uh, offseason who won't hemorrhage uh, four points a minute in the playoffs in addition to retaining some of these players if that's what they want to do and building out the rest of the roster.
2: Speaking of hemorrhaging points, Terry Rozier is unhappy, and <laughs> it I it's it totally makes sense for a lot of different guys in Boston that this season was a a big adjustment and and just tough because they had all this team success last year. They made the Eastern Conference Finals. They made it to a Game Seven against Cleveland, relying not on Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, but on a lot of young guys, including Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, and Rozier basically said that he's that if it's the same roster, he doesn't want to come back. Two problems with that. One, he's a restricted free agent so what he wants doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. And then the other part is he didn't have a particularly good year. I mean so Rozier, last year was his career high at a whopping 52% true shooting on 20% usage. This year, despite playing with and against inferior talent because he's more on the second unit, efficiency dropped, assist rates stayed about the same, usage rate dropped, and those Boston lineups when he played without Kyrie did not score particularly well. Some of that is, you know, the surrounding talent's worse, but even when he played with Al Horford it wasn't particularly in it wasn't great offense there and so I understand where Rosier is coming from I also wonder why his whether it's him or his representation is wants him to be spreading this out there it doesn't really seem to be helping anybody so I mean he can say whatever he wants it's a free country but it's it is a little bit weird, and he it, it, and I don't feel as much sympathy because he didn't have a good year.
1: Yeah, th- that would be my point as well there. Like, okay, this idea that, oh, yeah, he didn't play well. I mean, what's more likely, that he didn't play well... Because having to come off the bench again messed with his head, or he didn't play well because he just wasn't that good this year. I, I'm going to go with uh door number two uh, on that one, and you know, for him saying All right, I don't want to go back if the roster is the same. Well, you know, presumably that means Kyrie Irving not being there and him not wanting to come off the bench. But yeah, I mean, it, it's one thing to be like, oh man, he was so good at, in limited minutes, and on any other team he would have had a bigger role. I mean, he played like a, an average backup at best this year. So we'll see. What Kind of an offer he has available. The Cleveland Cavaliers have hired John Beeline, who was in the NBA process with the Detroit Pistons last year at the job that eventually went to Dwayne Casey Beeline, out of Michigan, known for running a, a ton of pick and roll, also known for having a lot of control over his players, which I think he's going to have to relax some. The Cavs did a number of interviews for head coach, and the rumor is that they may look to one of those gentlemen who to be Beeline's lead assistant. And at 66, he is the oldest first-time permanent head coach in nba history and is the third oldest coach in the nba behind greg popovich at 70 and mike d'antoni at 68 the Cavs did go through this long process however it seemed like some of this is dan gilbert really wanting a college coach you remember his pursuit of tom izzo years ago uh, for example a a face-to-face meeting between gilbert and beeline took place a couple of days ago this did come out of nowhere I, i will say dan gilbert does a pretty good job of like meeting with people in secret and having it knock it out you remember he met again with lebron in 2014 and that didn't really get out so we'll see what happens to, with beeline i mean this we'll never know whether it's gilbert hijacking the process and trying to get his guy not much chance of lebron james coming in and messing up the, the guy that gilbert wanted this time the way it happened with david blatt and for beeline i guess at his age he felt like there was a another challenge that he wanted to take i just i, I can't really comment on how i think he's going to do it at this point just not familiar with his work there but he does seem to be one of the more respected college coaches and one of the ones along with Jay Wright who has been touted as uh having the potential to do well in the league
2: I'm interested in it as an experiment I'm actually more familiar with Beeline with his time at West Virginia because that's when I was in college and so I I really enjoyed those West Virginia teams and that, those game, Mike Gansey, Kevin Pitts, Noggle, that type of stuff so I know I know that more than him coaching like Karis LeVert and numerous other guys at Michigan but I'm, I'm excited about it I, li- I like seeing different things in Cleveland they don't have a they don't have a ton of pressure to win now and so it, it might be nice to see a college coach even an older one get a little bit of latitude here and another retention by the Los Angeles Clippers front office Jerry West has agreed to a new contract to stay with the franchise this is after Trent redden and Michael winger previously turned down or at least you know they they chose to come back to the Clippers when after being pursued for other offers in in different places and so always a nice sign to see those people want to come back. And the Clippers have a very big offseason. We'll do their preview at some point. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And then we also have some news out of Utah.
1: Yeah, we can hit this one quickly. This is just the higher title, higher salary, same guys doing it. Dennis Lindsay, now executive vice president of basketball operations over general manager. And Justin Zanuck is elevated to general manager from assistant general manager. Recall Zanuck had that time in Milwaukee where he looked like the GM in waiting. And then he did not get that job that went to John Horst due to some ownership infighting. And then good for Utah to just allow him to return since they obviously believed in him and it looks like he'll be with the franchise for years to come. And then the NCAA is forming a committee, that's what they do, to look at possibly relaxing amateurism rules. They will not be considering the idea of paying athletes as employees, but they may allow players to profit from their likeness. And I think this is always where this should have gone the olympic model all right we're not going to pay you directly but whatever else you want to do go ahead and yeah you know what that might lead to boosters paying players through jim bob's car dealership or or whatever but i mean to me as long as the university or the coaches directly are not paying the players because that just makes it too difficult as as far as non-revenue sports and title nine and all that but just you know get rid of the amateurism and let them profit from their likeness however they want to the only downside that i see to this is that maybe players certain players would be doing so well uh that they would want to just stay in college but uh my hope is that that will not occur but i definitely and that's a not much of a downside when you consider that these players should really be able to benefit and it'd be nice too to be able to see guys who are really good college players get some endorsements and stuff even if they're they don't have like the greatest professional future in the world it, it would also uh, be yeah.
2: interesting to see how this affects the timeline of negotiations for shoe contracts like will you, would you see like a highly touted high school you know like a, a freshman in college do do that kind of thing? Or would they want to build build themselves and you know, maybe they're betting on a yeah. good first year? It's, yeah,
1: I mean, you might see guys sign something at 15 and then you have a, a chance to renegotiate when you get into the NBA or sure. something like that. You could yeah, very much see that. Yeah, um,
2: and one other small benefit because I am this person, I would guess that this could lead to theoretically a return of NCAA sports video games, which would make me happy as somebody who grew up playing NCAA football and NCAA basketball games. That would be fun.
1: So Danny and I do the nba cast we usually need to order in some food postmates is an awesome way to do that if you need chinese food at 7 p.m which is what uh, we've been getting a lot lately a breakfast burrito in the morning you need some wine delivered if you're having a, a fun night you want some sushi later in the night maybe you uh need some ibuprofen in the morning <laughs> go ahead and postmate it postmates is your personal food delivery grocery delivery whatever kind of delivery service all year round it's not just limited to food they will get you anything postmates can deliver within the hour 24 hours a day 365 days a year the largest on-demand network in the u.s and offer delivery from all the restaurants grocery convenience stores and traditional retailers that you could possibly need download the app for ios or android for free browse local restaurants businesses and track your delivery in real time they even have a little icon on the app that shows uh, where your delivery person is and what mode of transportation that they're using also note that for your first seven days you can get free delivery credit up to $100. So essentially no delivery fees until you amass $100 of delivery fees, which you have to be prolific indeed to do that in your first seven days, but I'm sure Postmates would love it if you did. Use the code CAPSPACE to get that. That's $100 of delivery credit, delivery fee credit, in your first seven days as a Postmates customer. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it, and make sure you use that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So this was one of those game ones that went eh, uh, uh, about as you would expect do you recall how i started our series preview no <laughs> well what i said was the portland tra- trailblazers have ennis Cantor, and the golden state warriors have a center that ennis Cantor will be guarding who can set screens for steph curry and clay thompson that seemed like a problem for the portland trailblazers tonight
2: well yes it did and it was what was so shocking to me about what happened was that we've seen this movie before Four in two different phases so drop back coverages portland has tried that at times against the warriors in their previous playoff iterations the warriors have done very well against it they've done a lot of other things too but that that's something that they've gone to and the warriors have eviscerated ennis Cantor and his terrible pick and roll defense in other series sometimes that were happening in the same playoffs just not at the same time because when he was a member of the oklahoma city thunder the whole that's when the whole can't play him thing happened and he was such a liability in those series that Billy Donovan had to try other things and yes it is 100% true that first of all Cantor has been better than we expected in the first two rounds deserves credit for that even battling through injuries and they don't have as many other options because Yusuf Nurkic just hurt which is the whole reason why Enes Cantor is playing in the first place but even even with some modifications I just think he's so damn close to unplayable in this series at least when Steph Curry's on the floor
1: now here's what Terry Stotts would tell you about that and I did note this during the game obviously we're critical of the times when you've got dave millard on steph and you've got Cantor laying back i mean i I tweeted out a photo of ennis Cantor standing in the paint dave millard still hung up on a screen and steph curry already shooting a three-pointer and steph does an amazing job of setting up the screens and especially when it's draymond but looney as well is getting better at it bogut obviously a great screen setter those guys can get him open especially when lillard is on him and had the matchup on Steph a lot in this game and that just looks so bad and you feel like you just can't deal with it and Steph Curry was awesome in this game he shot 9 of 15 on threes and I think if it had been more competitive down the end and the Blazers hadn't switched up their strategy in the fourth quarter that Steph might have actually beaten Klay Thompson's record for three pointers in a playoff game which is a left in of course game six in 26 but the Blazers only had a 108 defensive rating through three quarters and that's when Steph was really doing a, a ton of damage and you could also say that if they could have just defended better when curry was off the floor at the start of the second and the start of the fourth that they would have played acceptable defense in this game the warriors went off for 39 in the fourth quarter as it turned out and and they're up 17 in the third portland closed to six and then the warriors turned it into garbage time again by by the end in the fourth but they did try things a little bit differently they weren't quite trapping with cancer but he was at least getting up you know within a couple feet of the three-point line and they also put rodney hood on staff and he did a little bit better a job getting over screens but the Blazers still got cooked in that fourth quarter and gave up like a bunch of dunks they weren't even really trying to switch or really being that aggressive it was just a difference from what they normally do so they defended better in this game when they went to that extremely conservative strategy they also defended better when they had Zach Collins on on the floor and as sad as it is to say I mean even if Steph Curry is getting that pretty open shot all the time he's probably not going to shoot nine of 15 from three at least (laughs) you know he'll maybe he'll shoot six of 15 which is still 40% uh, some of these games I mean the Steph and Clay are unbelievable but they do have bad shooting games sometimes even when they get pretty open shots so maybe it really is the best strategy I mean stott got question about it after the game first to Dwight James and then Slater said oh he only had four the most threes he had in the Houston series was four and he had nine tonight um so sas was like yeah but what were they doing when he had 33 in the second half you know they're they were trapping him you know we're gonna try something else and and the thing is they just don't have the personnel to to do it much differently I, I don't think especially with Cantor on the floor and they need Cantor you would think uh, offensively uh, to get some kind of a contribution because this really despite the Warriors finishing up with over a 120 offensive rating in the competitive portion of the game this is really much more a, of an offensive loss for the blazers we'll get we'll get back to the the defense a little bit when we talk adjustments but you know there's a defense to it uh, to me but what went wrong for the blazers offensively that was the much bigger problem
2: i mean the short answer is basically everything i mean (laughs) they they were to me the thing that struck that struck me first was the turnover a lot of just really rough turnovers mix of live ball and dead ball lillard had seven he had seven turnovers and six assists in the game but throughout the lineup i mean just some weird bad passes the warriors are great at passing lanes and it's the difference between playing the nuggets who have a fine defense i'm not not saying they're they're terrible or anything like that and a swarming attacking intelligent team like the warriors and remember that this is not the golden state warriors at the peak of their defensive powers kevin durant is a useful part for them he is unavailable they aren't Be they didn't go to draymond at center i don't think at all in this game because they didn't have to
1: yeah well if you want to either him or jerubko would be considered yeah i guess yeah for that lineups. for some
2: of those lineups for, for and, a few and
1: draymond spots. was one was guarding Ennis Cantor sure. for a couple of possessions. so I think you would you would say that he's yeah. at center in those of
2: sure for bits and pieces there and yeah they went to some some interesting little stuff out there at, at moments of time so that's one big part I think the turnovers and those should get better I I, I fully I fully expected to tone down a little bit Portland also just missed a ton of open shots. I mean, you had they, they were as a team seven of twenty-eight on threes. That was a big problem. And Aminu and Harkless combined for five of those twenty-eight, so it wasn't just like all—all all just terrible shooters taking them um, or anything like that. You know, not a—not a ton of like huge culprits there. Just a bunch of guys missing shots that they—they they would normally make. And they also didn't didn't do great on twos. They were forty-two percent on two-pointers compared to forty-nine percent for the Warriors. And when the Warriors are outshooting you by seven percent from two and then outshooting shooting you by 26% from three, it's a problem.
1: Yeah, and again, I mean, 17 at 33. Now when Steph Curry and Klay Thompson take 24 of those 33, you're a lot more likely to give up 52% three-point shooting across 33 attempts. And the Blazers have good three-point shooters. CJ missed some pretty open looks at, at times. But we get into the structural issues this is another thing that we talked about before the series. Draymond Green doesn't have to guard anyone in this series. He can guard Moharkless. He can guard Aminu, who really just looked complete deer in the headlights out there. He can guard Evan Turner, who uh, was 0 for 1 in in 16 minutes. Blazers did not go with Collins and Cancer together at all here. And Mo Harkless had a pretty good game. He had 17 points, 7 to 12. He had a nasty dunk on Draymond. Also blocked two of Draymond's jumpers, although Draymond blocked two of his three-pointers too. Um, But seven to 12 17 points but if that's the cost for the warriors of holding dame and CJ to a combined 11 to 31 and 10 combined turnovers they'll take that every time and lillard talked to after the game about how they're making him play in a crowd and it was clear number one that the blazers were a very tired team I and mean, they'd been playing every other day they had that quadruple overtime game pretty much every game was close in that denver series both those guys played the entire second half against Denver and then they fly to golden state and have to play them completely different team a more exhausting team to play with their ball movement and their transition you know Lillard was guarding Torrey Craig in the last series and he had to match up with with Steph a lot in this series and then the defense of the Warriors I mean, it, the number of times that Iguodala Green Looney even Steph you know is more of a ball hawk than any of the Denver guard that those guys all just show up in places that were not expected you know there's T.J call him thinks he creates separation and pulls up for a mid-ranger uh, off the pick and roll seems like he's open and then Andre Guadalla just comes off of Dane Lillard behind him CJ is not the greatest vision and just like forces CJ to throw a desperation pass out because he's about to block his jump off jump shot coming off of Dane Lillard like those are the type of plays that the Warriors were making Draymond was just hanging out in the lane they took a, a lot of charges and blips the pick and roll a lot harder with much longer players you know this isn't Nikola Jokic and Mason Plumlee trying to slide with you this is players who are aggressive with long arms who will pick your pocket who will make you defensive and throw a duck pass that's going to get intercepted because they got some sharks on the backside too so Portland's not going to turn it over 21 times again they're not going to have 26% turnovers in the first half which was the would have been over a full game the worst in any game but one over the last five seasons to turn it over that many times over a full game to give you an idea of how bad that is with, with those 13 first half turnovers so where do you say that Portland can go from here.
2: I think their best shot of winning games in this series is to start Zach Collins or just try to pair, try to make sure Ennis Kanter is not on the floor when Steph Curry's on the floor, and then wherever you can kind of pick his spots outside of that. And so the starting lineup is the easiest place to to have Zach Collins to kind of get those things in line. Curry's minutes are very well established, so it is easier for Stotts to develop a counter there. He's gonna unless he's in foul trouble, play the whole first and third, sit at the beginning of the second and fourth. So cantor should definitely be out there during those minutes. Zach Collins was out there for most of those in game one. That's one adjustment. I would consider just sh- maybe shifting Rodney Hood's minutes around a little bit, getting, getting more players that the Warriors have to actively defend on the floor, you know, stacking that and and stacking the minutes that their best players are on the floor, going a little bit more offensive there and saying, hey, we're not going to defend the Warriors super well, but let's see if we can score. Kind of like it happened at moments during the Nuggets series as well, to go in that direction. And something that i found hilarious about this game was Terry Stotts has this especially in the second quarter, runs this lineup that is extremely bench-heavy. In game one, it was just C.J. McCollum as the starter, then it was all it was four bench guys. And that allows Kerr to go with what Ethan Stroud-Strauss Stra- called the, the whimsy lineup, but basically this really bench-heavy lineup as well, and the Warriors actually outscored the Blazers, I believe, in both of those iterations. And I think maybe Stotts can use Kerr's ethos against him a little bit, and if, if he gets comfortable in that, attacking, you know, maybe going with some lineups that that have a little bit more oomph whether that's adding in another starter and and also like it feels like there's more of a place for Al, Al Farouk in this series than the 19 minutes he played
1: he's been bad though that's true he has uh, and I mean this is I mean the, the limitations of this Portland roster and and this is remember this is Golden State without Kevin Durant and they're making these guys and Portland's gonna play better Golden State's gonna shoot worse you know I think Portland is gonna be competitive in games in this series it would help if they could get more than two fast break points too by the way but this is why we talked about you know with denver for example and just that whole side of the bracket of this is just a completely different series and kerr as nicely as he could basically said that when he talked about oh yeah we can play 11 guys now it's a different series but that's because when you're playing against the houston rockets they have shooting at pretty much every position they have will they will go after your worst player if you try to trap them on defense you try to trap them and pick and roll hard and it's going to carve that up he's going to get guys open threes he, he can roast guys with a step back Lillard and McCollum for all of their brilliance are not at that level as one-on-one players and so you can take the ball out of their hands pretty well I mean, and both those guys are going to have moments in the series where they're going to look really unstoppable but they're I don't know if they can do that on a consistent basis and the Warriors can blitz them and then Portland doesn't even have like a stretch four they don't have a single player who can play the four that Golden State's going to even think twice about leaving and think of that like in this day and age how difficult that is to deal with, and you've got the best defensive player left in the playoffs, probably, and Draymond Green, maybe the best defensive player in the playoffs to begin with, guarding, not guarding that player, and so it's just it, it's really difficult for them. And then you know they don't have Nurkic either, which doesn't help. um
2: well, and you haven't even mentioned Evan Turner. I mean, Evan Turner's yeah. presence in this series it, it could help Draymond depending on what he plays, but that helped keep Jonas Drebko on the floor. And I mean, not that Drebko it's it's such a huge boon for the Warriors that he gets to. Play play but it's another reminder of how limited this portland team is that even some of their high paid players off the bench you don't have to worry about that much
1: well and that's why that second group was actually able to be okay because jerobko is a pretty decent sh- shooter quinn cook two for three i still maintain that quinn cook can make a pretty solid backup point guard for a team that has a, another creator like he can shoot the ball and he competes on defense that's not bad for uh uh you know jordan bell is, can do some things he had a nice game Tonight, he had three assists and is at least active with the ball. Alfonso McKinney held up okay defensively, which he didn't really in the Houston series. Every single player who played for the Warriors was a plus in this game. All 13 guys on the roster.
2: Including Damian Jones, his first minutes since being injured earlier in the season.
1: Yeah. A couple other things on adjustments. I agree with you. Start Collins. Take a page out of Billy Donovan's book. And yeah, you may have to play cancer more, but every single moment that Steph Curry is off the floor and his cancer needs to be on it and try to get yourself some more offense that way it was interesting that Steph Curry actually started the game guarding CJ McCollum a lot of the time I think you might just rather than setting a screen just go one four flat and let CJ just go at Steph Curry who moves his feet pretty well but CJ can use his superior size get to a spot just shoot over Curry who does not have a a large wingspan I think that's something they could go to well and try to draw fouls
2: I think I think Curry Curry in isolation especially if CJ starts cooking him a little bit he'll get handsy he'll get he'll start reaching more can
1: get can go to the pump fake there yeah um you know it's, it, it's tough with aminu i mean i i think collins you could start him at the five maybe hope that he makes it some threes can do some pick and pop and that maybe that'll open things up a little bit compared to Canner and just give you a little more versatility defensively try to get him out on the floor more especially it's especially required to me to double team stuff when clay is not on the floor and, and make some of these other guys make threes i know andre shot it well in the houston series but you know this this they don't have as good of a chance of stopping the Warriors as Houston did you know you that you really got to live with the Iguodala or Draymond Green three-pointers but when Clay is off the floor at the end of the first and third quarter and it's just Steph you really got to get out of his hands uh the Warriors were doubling Enes Kanter pretty much on the catch early and he had three assists early on and then they went to a little bit more conservative style with that and waited until he put it on the floor and got into his move or it was just draymond green guarding him and his post-ups didn't go nearly as well after that cancer did have five offensive rebounds and and got a few more team offensive rebounds but missed a bunch of tips really wasn't able to convert wasn't able to get the warriors to commit fouls and he ended up with four turnovers 10 points uh, on 10 shooting possessions So you got to get a lot more from him offensively to justify his presence out there defensively but this this is really what it comes down to for stats and it really takes me back now to 2016 and one of the things that we said pretty early on in this podcast was if you're really serious about beating the warriors you need to practice all year like you're going to be playing them and the clippers in particular that 15 16 season were like hey they need to just practice switching everything because that's really the only way you're going to slow these guys down even with no kd Steph, and clay and the movement and the screening and the intelligence are just too good maybe if you're have personnel like milwaukee has with bledsoe and the length that they have or toronto with all the great defenders that they have or you know boston back in the day when they had avery Bradley. maybe then you can think about stopping them with a conventional defense but it's probably not going to happen otherwise and this blazers defense was a below average defense in the regular season and easily the worst defense remaining uh in the playoffs the worst defense Probably of any team, even that was in, made it to the second round. And so now everyone who's saying, well, they should switch, they should switch. Number one, that's worked terribly for the Blazers in the past when they've tried to go with like a minu at center, Harkless at the four, didn't work at all. They, they just, the communication was terrible. They haven't practiced it at all. And the Warriors, you know, if you want to switch against Houston, okay, they're not going to put pressure on your communication. You still got to stop James Harden. That's tough. But you're not going to be like, oh man, we screwed up this communication. The Warriors are too good at that. They'll slip screens, they'll cut to the rim. They've been playing, they just spent. Spent the entire series playing against Houston, moving the ball really quickly... If Portland tries to play that way, they're going to have a ton of miscommunications. Same thing with trying to get out on the floor. They just haven't played that way all season. And this is a team, you know, that didn't have realistic expectations of getting to this round and then competing with Golden State. So they really got to just hope that the Warriors miss shots and that their guys hit shots. And then, you know, in those games, they'll be competitive and maybe, you know, they win those games by five or something. But in the games where they're not hitting and the Warriors are, it's going to be a blowout like it was tonight. One more thing I think they could maybe do, if you're going to play this way, more of a drop coverage, got to get more length on stuff. Having Dame on stuff, it's just not going to work. Oh, that's interesting.
2: So one brief thing I wanted I wanted to bring up, and we'll do this again. We might even do it on the NBA cast for, for Bucks Raptors, is does this change the way you thought about the series? For me, my answer is no. You know, other than being a logged win for the Warriors and just seeing the disparity, I still think it's a five-game series.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, what I was trying to say before my phone reacted to something I was saying, by telling me i needed to unlock it uh was maybe it's got to be harkless even hood who is not a great defender but has looked a little bit better gives him more of a chance yeah if you want to hide dame millard on draymond i mean th- i guess your problem then is that you know you hide him on iguodala or something and you know he goes and screens for stuff and then you're right back in the same situation but at least you make him take one more step there and in transition they're going to get be times where he's going to have to be on it but it, dame has improved a lot defensively but he's not going to get over a screen and contest stuff from behind it's just not going to happen so harkless maybe even evan turner could guard stuff just someone who has enough length and energy to get over a screen and contest stuff from behind and at least force them into two-point range uh on some of those screens but yeah i mean i think portland game two is very likely to be closer portland will play harder they'll they'll have been here for a while they'll have a chance to get used to playing a great team but it, it it does make you feel that portland has little chance in this series let me see if i got anything else here the blazers did do a nice job of faking dribble handoffs and driving to the rim Zach collins was pretty good at that you, you can watch for that in the next game uh i did think that golden state made a lot of defensive mistakes in the first quarter and the blazers missed some layups missed some threes before Golden State's defense really clicked in it it, that may could have maybe changed things a little bit uh
2: one other thing that I thought was interesting there were five different Warriors that had two or more steals in this game that is an incredible number of different players 13 in total and the Warriors had 17 fast break points compared to only two for Portland but the way that they wreak havoc it's an adjustment but it's it's just such a big change for Portland to deal with after the Denver series where you know Denver had some moments but they weren't they weren't stressing you out every dribble like the warriors do like the rockets do
1: yeah that, that's uh that's a good point there i mean yeah, that, that number of steals it was crazy the warriors pick and roll defense even with andrew bogut in the game he got the keith bogans but it gave him some minutes early that's another reason i think to go to collins early is to maximize Cantor's minutes playing against Someone who, in theory, can't guard him in the post and you can force a double team with. But even Bogut was getting further out on the floor than we've seen previously. You know, when I talked about how back in 2016 when these teams played, they got roasted with Bogut just laying back in pick-and-roll defense. So uh we'll see if that continues if the Blazers can find a way to uh, attack that and you know Damon CJ gotta play better I I have faith that they will and you know we'll at least see some competitive games in this series
2: oh one other thing yeah it might be a while until we see Kevin Durant not because any I've heard anything about his injury but just because if the Warriors aren't feeling threatened then they just won't rush him back
1: yeah my prediction is game five for him Well, our first off-season preview now, starting these a little bit later than normal because that second round went so long. But I think the Denver Nuggets are a great place to start. We talked a little bit on Sunday night's program about the fact it was a successful season overall, but I think a disappointing playoffs. And I think the place to start here is... Just talking generally about what this team needs, and I think it's pretty clear to me that whether it's through internal development or an external solution, a little bit more three and D on the wing is probably the biggest low hanging fruit from for this team. And they certainly have a lot of guys who you can argue about whether Jamal Murray is best as your lead creator or whether Will Barton is good enough as your main bench scorer or or as a starting three. But but those pieces are going to be here so i think in terms of their main need they have a fair amount of depth they have most of this team except for one exception that we'll get to under contract as far as their rotation pieces so that to me is really what they should be looking to add here now how much space they will have to do that depends of course on what happens with paul Millsap.
2: it depends on paul milsap but it also depends on another swing factor that we'll talk about with a series of teams which is ownership's willingness to pay and denver last year. The players they gave up in order to shed salary ended up not being particularly consequential. Wilson Chandler getting out of his money ended up being a godsend for them. You know, he just didn't provide much value for Philadelphia and then eventually for the Clippers. Kenneth Farid got bought out, wouldn't have really been a part of the rotation, and Daryl Arthur was basically gone before he arrived in a couple of different stops. And so you have that, but then also remember they gave up a first round pick. They gave up their first round pick in 2019, and yes, full credit to them that that pick ended up being being worse because they were better than we anticipated. But I think that's another part of the framing here because Millsap is an important part and, and I want to talk about that. But also remember that if we're in the idea of what do they need, one of the other ways in a theoretical maximized Nuggets scenario would be using somewhere all of the trade exceptions they created by moving those other guys. They have a $13.7, $13.8 million one for Fareed, 12.8 for Wilson Chandler, probably not enough to get you a star or anything like that. But if ownership were more willing to kind of push the limits a little bit they could get somebody who would help even if they have a deep rotation already
1: yeah so here's where they sit with the Millsap situation they have a team option on him for exactly 30 million dollars next season if they were to decline that team option they would then have 18 million dollars in cap space with which to work so think about that as you can decline paul Millsap's option let him go and replace him with an 18 million dollar player maybe for more than one year if you keep Millsap on the board books at that 30 million now you're 11 million dollars over the cap and you've got about another 12 million or so below the tax you've got 12 players already on roster this isn't including trey lyle's restricted free agent hold which i i think it's unlikely maybe he gets a qualifying offer uh he probably would not get a qualifying offer if they or at least one that they would revoke if they don't pick up mill option so that's that's option number two is you start off 11 million under the tax and just to have again i don't see this team's ownership paying the tax the full mid-level exception starts at 9.2 million dollars next year so to use that full mid-level exception you're so close to the tax that either some other kind of money saving move would need to be made and they don't have a lot of places to cut cash i mean mason plumley is probably the only guy who looks like an overpaid guy at this point maybe barton would be the other one possibly you could think there might be a market for him uh i think if they could get off of either plumley or barton that might be worth doing although plumbing being in the last year of his deal at 14 million he's overpaid but also that makes it a little bit more pal- palatable and they do need of course a, a backup center he is a, a quality backup center so you keep milsap you're probably looking at you know spending some but not all of that mid-level let's say you can spend six million or so of it and then you just need other cash to sign guys throughout the year and uh, operate it below the tax if they're willing to pay the tax then you can use the full mid level so and you could go all the way up to the apron you would have $18 million in, in room there. So you actually could use the full mid-level and I think that could be a pretty powerful tool for them. Uh So that's scenario two. We'll talk about who they might get with the full mid-level in a second. Scenario three is you decline the option on Paul Millsap and then you agree to bring him back at some kind of a number that's lower than $30 million on a longer term deal. And we talked about this a little bit in the power forward section of, you know, what would it take if you're Paul Millsap? What would you offer if your denver on that type of deal what is your answer to that would you go two years 50 million would you want a third year paul Millsap is uh not a spring chicken although i i thought he defensively looked pretty darn good uh again against uh first round level of playoff competition let's be clear you know they weren't playing teams that are at the highest levels in these playoff
2: milsap is 34 this summer so i mean those extra years really do start to add and from his perspective that 30 million is is a lot of money and so you think about basically so you take that number whatever the the offer is so let's say it's it adds two. take away the option and then two years 50 million basically that's a one-year 20 million dollar extension is a way to think about it the accounting would be different but that's a way to think about it from milsap's perspective i think that's a pretty good risk mitigation you know I, the, I i don't know if if he waits until 2020 when he's 35 if he'll get yeah. that sort of an they offer. could
1: technically extend him too they could opt they him could. in and extend they it. Could. that would be a possibility they'd have right. to wait and, until and that, the two-year and, anniversary of signing the contract. But,
2: but would what be would be interesting in about that if they wanted to and why I would consider it as Denver is I think it's going to be more of a, a, a pressure for them in 2020 spending-wise because that's when Jamal Murray gets his raise. Yeah. So they could do an extension. You can drop the number more significantly in an extension. That might be a possibility because you would rather have that dip. This is It's not the same circumstance, but you can kind of think of Robert Covington as an extreme example here where Phil had money to burn, and then the next year, they thought they might use cap space for the next couple years, so they used the the rules as they existed for that specific circumstance, which are not the same here, to give him more money in the year. I think that's one way of considering it. In this circumstance, it's an interesting idea, and... But, but I think where I go as Denver here is that I would rather see how this year plays out. Yeah. If he, if he's willing to take a big enough discount, by all means, let's say it for whatever reason, he's willing to take 40 or 45 over two years. So then it's only like a 10 or 15 million dollar contract. A, you get the luxury tax benefits. You get a little bit of breathing room this year and it's not that much more money, but I could understand why Millsap wouldn't want to do that. And maybe Michael Porter Jr. is awesome. Maybe you don't need a forward as much as you thought you did. Maybe the young players are progressing at a different different stage and you're conceiving of the team differently so i actually think that the the team option is pretty palatable for denver as well
1: yeah and you just opt them in and you can always do the extension later on now the benefit of kind of doing the extension right now in conjunction with opting them in is what you said you can kind of treat it as hey we're going to opt you out at 30 million so treat this treat this as like a 30 million dollars in this year and you can get a balloon payment this year and now you're going to take less on the end whereas if they opt him in and just keep him around you can't really do uh, adopt that negotiating strategy any longer so the other interesting thing though is that i mean, you think about the core of this team and you've got gary harris nicole Jokic, and jamal murray maybe you want of porter or beasley or Hernan gomez you know one of those guys that could come up but really it's those three guys and they need you know paul Millsap is going to be too old to be a part of this team three or four years from now and harrison has already gotten an extension. Millsap, or, or I'm sorry, Jokic is on a near max contract. Murray is going to be there next summer. Although they could just wait with Jamal Murray and have him use his 13 million dollar cap hold to use cap space next summer. If they do that, they would have 30 million dollars in cap space next summer to go and get that fourth piece. And that that assumes. You might also have an extension for Malik Beasley on the books at that point. I don't see Beasley as a starter necessarily, and they've already got Harris at that position. So you really don't want to overpay him. He, to me, would be a trade candidate this year. Hernan Gomez, and, you know, they're not really that high on him. Uh, Torrey Craig won't have a, a huge number, but you know I don't think he's that good of a player where he's, you're looking at him as part of your core. If you extend Millsap beyond next summer, now you're really breaking into where you don't have enough space to... To be close to a max contract for, uh, and to just at least get another key starter, maybe they could move Barton at that point. This is part of why, though, I was very critical of that Barton contract because I just don't see him as that fourth piece they need. Will Barton is a backup player. He was a good backup before his injury struggles this year. But that fourth piece is what's so important, and that guy is going to need to be basically giving them what Paul Millsap has been giving them these last couple of years. And Paul Millsap is a great player. I don't know. If they can find that same level of piece, but they don't have a draft pick this year. They don't have anyone. I think waiting in the wings like Porter, I think could be like a really nice bench scorter, scorer. Score, but you know, I see him kind of becoming more of a Jabari Parker type of player. Not known, someone known for his defense, and we'll see how he looks in summer league. Maybe that'll change things. But from where I I saw him when he was in that played in that scrimmage, that three on three scrimmage at the end of the regular season, he did not look anywhere close to ready and uh, was not playing much defense. He's gonna be a project. He's got some upside but they need someone who with some size who can defend and also has some offensive ability and, and can play next to Jokic, who is does as much as he can with his tools but is a little bit too slow out there and can't jump so
2: so something i wanted yeah. to run by you i think this is kind of a good news bad news circumstance for denver if they feel the way that we feel that will barton is not a surefire starter on this team theoretically just from a talent maximization standpoint they could go after a three or a four you know just just to get that fourth guy because if you have locked in at the one the two and the five you can go in either direction and that opens up a little bit more flexibility and maybe the idea is that you can get more value at the three because it's you know supply dictates a lot of this the problem for them the bad news part of the good news bad news is that supply is extremely limited at both forward spots in that year so they're going to need the right guy to say yes like you're you're getting into more like jeremy grant and otto porter territory pretty quickly and yeah it's not particularly in inspiring but remember that you're comparing those guys with a th- mid to late 30s Paul millsap and so they do need to be a little bit proactive here and that's why I would be looking more at the idea of seeing what you ha- seeing what is available seeing what is on the market and it's possible depending on how recklessly teams spend this year that denver could have a pretty good sales pitch for some of those guys even if it's an uninspiring class because they have cap space they they look like they're going to be a very good team and I might I might want to roll those dice and then remember you can always make millsap a Reasonable offer. They'll have full word rights at that juncture. If you think he's the yeah. best option, you can bring him back. I don't think, I, I, and
1: especially or if, try to at least,
2: yeah, or try to. Like you, you'll have the means to do it. Should it be mutually of interest to both sides? So I would value the flexibility here. But also remember that Denver, over time, and this has been true of of really rookie extension guys and restricted free agents. But you could see it moving on beyond that. They've taken care of you know people that want to stay. Yeah, and. That is both mostly for me. That's a concern in this specific circumstance because part of the reason why the math is so hard for Denver is not necessarily who they identified. It's that they gave them more money than they needed to. You know, if Mason Plumlee was making five million less a year, a lot of this stuff is easier. Same with Will Barton. And I don't think in either one of those cases they paid the player what the market bore out. They they went a little, not even a little bit in certain cases. They went above and beyond. And I'm sure that makes those players happy. I would guess that it does. But it does make some of the these future negotiations a little bit hairy
1: and that gets me to where I was going here with Murray I think D'Angelo Russell's negotiations with Brooklyn assuming that someone doesn't come in like Kyrie and usurp Russell's role completely I think are going to be very telling for where now Russell is actually in restricted free agency but I don't necessarily see him getting an offer uh he also has a much larger cap hold that than Murray would have because he was a higher pick but those people those players I think Murray is a million times better than D'Angelo Russell but eh maybe not a million times maybe Maybe like a hundred thousand but i think around the league those two players are probably viewed relatively similarly and so that w- perhaps will set the market and maybe if you can get murray for something along the lines of 20 million a year and you can start him a little bit lower and so you're only you know maybe you can start him at like seventeen five or so and then you're only taking away four million dollars of cap space in the summer of 2020 maybe you do that if it looks like if it's not going to be a team-friendly deal and, and this is one of the few things that i've been very critical of and you've been you just talked about it where they really take care of guys maybe just a little bit too much if it's going to be four years 100 million for him and now you're basically taking away your chance at getting a real impact player in the summer of 2020 i don't think that's worth it for him i think you just make him play it out and go into restricted free agency and see how he develops and yeah you know what if he costs a lot of money, now of course you're running up against the tax again too if you're going to use all that cap space and then you're going to give murray a big extension so there is some risk there but really i i think this is a team now with the talent that they have, they can either just sort of, all right, you know, we're just going to lock everyone up and, you know, we won't pay the tax and eh, we'll bring back Millsap and we're pretty good. We're just going to count on internal improvement and, you know, we'll win 50 games every year for the next five years and not really be a championship threat. Okay, fine. And, and, and you know, maybe the limitations of Jokic and Murray are so much that they'll never be a championship threat anyway great as those players are. But to me, it comes down to taking the risk. Yeah, you know what? You might alienate Jamal Murray a, a little bit, but you need to build, you need one more player like those Jokic Harris and Murray and the mid-level exception every year are not going to get it done to get into championship contention if that's really what's important to you as an organization and maybe it just isn't especially you know with the willingness to spend they have to not extend Murray use use that cap space opt Millsap in for this year you know don't give him an extension and yeah you're rolling the dice in the summer of 2020 it may be you may have to pay Murray a lot more that's risky you Paul Millsap might just leave and you won't be able to replace him, or you'll have to overpay for some other player who doesn't fit that well or you could look really really good in the summer of 2020 and get that last so that's uh that's really to me what it comes down to here with this offseason which is an absolutely critical one for this group and you know, they've already gone a little too far in kind of overvaluing their own guys they've done a great great job other than that i mean i know it, it, I, that probably gets lost sometimes in my discussing denver's aversion to the tax and also the fact that they overpay their own guys because that's easy to talk about you know i mean i think it's and that's something that people miss it's obvious that they've done a great job in in identifying this talent and developing it developing it so don't think that i i'm not giving the credit for that uh but i think now they they need to really be bolder than i think they have been no pun intended colorado
2: it's a big decision to make and something else that that i like to talk about when ownership is involved is it's not only about their willingness to spend now but especially in tim Connolly's situation it's about calibrating what that's going to be moving Forward. Philadelphia, when we talk about them, this is going to be a big issue there too, where making long term commitments, whether that's to Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, whoever, they need to know what the deal is moving forward because otherwise you get into the circumstances, which happen all the time, of a team where, like, Washington is probably the single best example of this, where every individual decision was reasonable, at least, let's use that line, but the collection of those otherwise reasonable decisions doesn't make sense and it creates an untenable situation. And the line of reasonable versus unreasonable is in many cases whether ownership is willing to to dip into it. And Denver had a wonderful season, second best record in the West, fourth best record in the NBA. And certain groups would take that as an interpretation of, okay, if we need to go a little bit over, we can do that, maybe for a year or two, or maybe even longer than that, especially if it can make us a championship contender or something close to that. I wonder about all of those decisions. And as you said, I think Connolly has done a great job. You know, maximization of resources is is a very important part of this and also that bodes well they don't have their own first round pick this year but moving forward you know if they can find values in the second round if they can find values in the late first which is where hopefully they'll be picking for the next few years that would really help but those players are more eventual replacements rotation pieces rather than that fourth guy that we're talking about because in all likelihood they're going to find that player either through free agency or trade as opposed to the 20 something pick in the draft
1: let's turn out to san antonio not quite as sexy of an off-season vanquished of course by those same nuggets in the first round another team that really is has nearly every piece under contract this is not an organization that has a history of making bold trades when they were forced to make a trade they went a pretty conservative route in bringing in DeMar DeRozan but at the top of their list they've got DeRozan at 28 million LaMarcus at 26 on the extension that he signed a couple of years ago and really the only swing piece here is Rudy Gay. Gay, you remember, signed for the mid-level on a 1 plus 1 two years ago, then he opted out and they re-signed him for 120% of that for last year, uh, which was $10 million. and now his cap hold is $13 million. You take that off the books and this team has $5 million in space. So there's really no reason to not re-sign him if they try to, or, or if, if they can. That cap hold is $13 million. They can pay him up to 175% with the early bird rights he has since he's been on the team for two years of that 10 million last year so they can pay him up to 17.5 we'll see whether he is happy there or not and how many years he wants to he wants going forward do they give him a one year 15 million dollar deal and then you do that and you still got plenty of room below the tax you can probably use your full mid-level exception there uh but that's really the swing piece. I don't, I, I think they're going to try and get DeJounte Murray back, develop him. They're going to try and develop the Derek White, who, who, flashed, uh, but also had some struggles in that Denver series. And other than that, I mean, they're only free agents. Are, are guys who really just were not part of the, of the team Dante Cunningham, Quincy Pondexter, Donatus Paniunas, and then they'll they'll have two first-round draft picks, the 19th, which is their own, and then the 29th, uh, which was from the Kawhi trade, it belongs to Toronto. When
2: San Antonio made the Kawhi DeRozan trade, it was really a two-year, at minimum, bet on DeRozan and Lamarcus Aldridge. Both of those guys had fully guaranteed contracts for nineteen twenty as well, and then in 2021, DeRozan has a player option 27.7 million i'm guessing you know from a financial perspective my instinct right now would be picking it up though again that depends on the he's kind of in the horford range where maybe he can get a better long-term contract at that point than he could by waiting until 21
1: he'll be 30 at that point
2: right so that's important and then the same year in 20 in next summer lamarcus has it's either going to be 24 million or a partial guarantee of 7 million so as of right now i'd expect that he'll be back so maybe it ends up being a three-year experiment could be two depends on factors that we don't have right now, but we're in the middle of that. And it would be very hard for San Antonio to change midstream. They don't have a ton of big positive value contracts. They have interesting young players, but they're not really at the point where you'd want to move them. And it wouldn't even really be clear what you would be moving them for. To me, Rudy Gay is the swing point in terms of this offseason, but the they have two really challenging, fascinating extension negotiations. That's the, to me, the most interesting part of their summer.
1: DeJounte Murray. Well, can we talk briefly uh, before we get to that? Because that's a different subject. Gay, sure. they're in the exact same situation with him as they were last year, right? Yep. Where where if you let him go, you basically can't replace him, right? But if you bring him back, you can still probably use the full mid-level. So you're basically by paying him, you're getting an extra player. Now, you hit on it that the summer of 2020 is a likely chance for a reset with this group if DeRozan comes off the books, if Lamarcus, uh if they move on from him, either trade him or you know waive him with that seven million. I think a window into their organizational thinking is you'll recall that they waived Paul gasol he took a little bit of a buyout he had i think seven million guaranteed for next season and he gave back about two million of that but the spurs actually elected not to stretch that amount they are taking the hit all in next year five million dollars on the cap so it really does seem like that summer of 2020 is the time to reset but then you get into the potential for extension negotiations that might eat into that even with the cap holds of murray and pertle on the books if they were to move on from aldridge they could have as much as 60 million dollars in space next summer with a a pretty good young core if you extend pertle and you extend murray uh, of course it eats into that uh, to some degree
2: and giving rudy game multiple years does the same thing
1: and that's why i think that they probably will not go more than one year and it'll just be a question of how much can they pay him
2: what they could do is a paralleling the bulls with Jabari Parker do a more lucrative first year with some sort of team-friendly element for a second year and then then at that point they can see where things are maybe they could even make the guarantee date on that after DeMar DeRozan's player option so they would have a, a little bit of an idea of where he's going and you would have to pay for that you know that would require more more money and then thus less less luxury tax wiggle room in 1920 might be worth it I don't think it probably is I think you just say hey we only have a one-year deal that's really what we're going to do West, yeah, less-
1: and he may find Something elsewhere, but I mean, this.
0: Sure, they absolutely they
1: could. have absolutely nothing at the three, uh, and you know, maybe Demar Derozan is their three now. But that we saw the difficulties that Derozan prevents for team building in that Denver series of just who is he going to guard? Uh, well, well, because he that can't guard it, the best wing scorer, and he can't guard any kind of guard who's doing pick and roll either. So you're just you're kind of stuck with him defensively.
2: It also makes for a challenging defining success question because Demar Derozan's issues are far more prevalent in the playoffs than they are in the regular season, even though they were present in the regular season too and maybe they just go we're gonna just have to deal with that 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 we can't we can't really do much better than than Rudy Gay and all these other things and we're they're not really well situated necessarily to winning a a couple of playoff series in this iteration down the line depending on how this works out could be very different you ready to move on to the extensions
1: uh one one more thing here so Rudy Gay right now I mentioned they can pay him up to 17.5 the mid-level exception is 9.2 they've already got 13 guys under contract for next year when you include their two draft picks with gay without gay they've got 28 million dollars below the tax subtract 9.2 out of that so that leaves you in theory up enough room to give gay that full 175 percent and sneak in under the tax ideally they'd probably want to be a little bit lower so the question just kind of becomes all right you know one year 15 million for rudy gay is that enough to entice him to stay as opposed to some other offers that he might have i'm guessing it probably is is. you know maybe there's a full mid-level exception offer out there for gay for two or three years somewhere i don't see any of the cap space teams really you know starting him at above the mid-level exception could be wrong on that but uh also rudy gay would have a no trade clause if he does a, another year so another one-year deal so that's probably where i see this ending up maybe Gay will just decide all right there's no way we're competing for a championship that's what's important to me i'll take a pay cut um but th- that's what they're looking at in terms of gay but now uh, the extensions are, are fascinating here. Uh, I guess we should probably start with Murray, who they, of course, view as as a huge part of their core going forward.
2: Murray's situation is way more challenging and complicated because he's coming off of a year-long injury, but tearing your ACL is not something that particularly scares franchises in terms of the long term. San Antonio knows a lot more about Murray's progression during the 2018 offseason than we do. He showed some strides. I, I actually I thought his, you were hearing the stuff about how his jump shot was looking better, and... He was an all-defensive team candidate last the last healthy year he had as a as a young player coming out, you know, coming out of Washington pretty and was a one and done at UW. And that's a big part. But another one is he has a really low capital. Murray, it's about seven million, just just a shade under that, because he was drafted very late in the first round. So any deal that gets cut this year that is higher than seven million, that cuts into their spending power in twenty twenty. And we just talked about how that might matter to them. We don't know for sure how much. And risk mitigation is so hard for both sides in this case, because we don't know exactly what Murray is. And so from his perspective, maybe he takes a little bit less, gets life-changing money, seals that in and wants to do it. But from San Antonio's perspective, they don't know exactly what they're getting back. They don't know how his fit is going to be with Derek White, who really blossomed this year. So I could imagine these negotiations just the sides being a little bit too far apart, unless one of them is less comfortable with risk and that kind of open or less or more, depending on which side we're talking about. More comfortable with risk and then that creates the, the narrow middle ground where a deal can happen
1: yeah it's just uh, Murray has so much potential and yet it's also just so improved and then the in- injury throws even more of a, a wrench into that with the low cap hold also worth noting the Spurs don't do a ton of extension uh, for rookie extensions at least but they you know they haven't had guys since Manu and Parker who are really that amazing other than Kawhi and Kawhi I'm sure they would have extended him but they wanted to keep his low cap hold so they could sign Aldridge although supposedly that was something that Kawhi was never that pleased with so I don't know I, I like what what is your offer to DeJounte Murray is it you know it seems like it's got to be under 15 million a year right to, to be worth it and
2: from San Antonio's just, perspective yeah I would say yeah. you would you would want to go under that I would be thinking more in the 10 to 13 range if you could pull it off and I could see DeJounte Murray being like hell no you know I'm a, I'm a starting caliber point yeah. guard I'm, I'm one of the best defensive guards in the entire league there is a risk there but like I could see him just saying no I'm better than that
1: yeah I, I mean and if like you know Justice Winslow can get 13 million a year from the heat and he's had his own injury issues as well though has, has never missed an entire to so John Murray has got to look at that and be like well you know I'm not gonna do that but that's we'll talk more about that once we get into the the mock rookie extensions it, it seems like one of those ones that's not going to happen early in the offseason and then and Jakob Pertl is another interesting one his cap hold is bigger 11 million he's one of these centers who you know I've always liked his game maybe more than the average person uh he has some pretty good mobility good offensive rebounder solid finisher around the rim, but very foul prone you know more of a 20-25 minute of the game starting center who doesn't close the game for you type of player though i mean he was i thought he was really good in that denver series and they couldn't they actually he like, couldn't get by without him frankly at, at times in that denver series so you know, he's someone who might be i see him just getting to restricted free agency i mean it's it'd be difficult for me to see him getting an extension of more than 10 million a year and basically guys almost never sign rookie extensions for less than 10 million a year it just doesn't happen so i i predict he'll go to restricted free agency and they'll end up seeing what happens there but it could be at the point where his 11 million dollar cap hold is kind of too rich for their blood if they're trying to do something in free agency it, it seems like though i mean the, cause the other part of this offseason we haven't talked about yet is what happens with greg popovich he is not committed to returning yet it seems like that's probably going to happen
2: yeah, I, i'm guessing he's coaching at least one more year and, and san antonio yeah. is giving him the flexibility to basically just say when he wants to stop right. and how does that affect their strategy moving forward you know maybe part of the reason why they want to keep the books clear for 2020 is they want to just go in a different direction if Popovich retired.
1: yeah and, and I think that seems like it's a distinct possibility and this DeRozan trade maybe that was about all right let's give Pop a real team for uh the next couple of years so, so he's not you know coaching some lottery team or something like that as we're rebuilding and we can just rebuild it in 2020 instead I would argue though that DeRozan didn't really do that much to make them if you look at the on-off metrics last year and if they had gone for some younger contributors with Kawhi, they probably could have been just about as good and been better set up for the future. But yeah, you know, I mean, we said that at the time too. Anything else on these guys? I mean, I guess we should talk about who they might get with the, the mid-level, yeah, which so we actually didn't talk about with Denver probably. Let's circle back on that. Idea. Sure.
2: So let's start with San Antonio though. I would be looking at the forward rotation. Their, their guard rotation is pretty solid. It would be great to have a backup center, but I don't think you need to dip into the mid-level exception yeah. unless it's somebody really, really really good there
1: yeah they got to get a three with a pulse that's what they need
2: yeah I, I would agree with that and unfortunately not a great year for threes with pulses <laughs>
1: uh you know who I, I think would be an excellent fit there is damari carroll
2: yeah i like him and i and like, i think and, he, and he can what? fit he's, well with rudy gay as well
1: yeah he's one of these guys who you know he's not that good but he's going to come up in every one of these scenes we talk about so you start to think uh, even at 32 he's probably going to have a market uh you know a, a james ennis type it, it could be useful for him on a, another guy who i mean i, I we talked talked about it when we did the small forwards but Harrison Barnes will probably be back with the Kings in one form or another Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton are off the table for most of these teams so then you're only really starting three on the market after those guys is Bogdanovich and then you've got even as just established rotation guys or guys who have some starting experience you've got Ariza Carroll and James Ennis and every team in the league needs a three so uh yeah good luck good luck getting that guy one of those guys with your mid-levels
2: theoretically if San Antonio were to go with more Aldridge at center Center, you know, that could be squeezing Perto a little bit, a couple different ways it could go. If al market dries out a little bit, I th- I agree with you that three is a bigger need. If you could get him for the mid-level, I think he's going to get more than that. I think he deserves more than that. But I don't know. I, I feel like that would be an intriguing fit at, at, at the four and you would need to slide some things around. But I think he's a really good basketball player and he could fit well in, in their system, maybe more than some others.
1: Yeah, or maybe it's uh, Jamichael Green. It could be a, a guy that they would look at. Or, you know, Marcus Morris, I mean, they may have to just kind of go more for the all right this guy is a four but we're going to play him a three type of guy like a, a and play morris and gay together and you probably get enough offense there and morris guards whoever's. so there are a few options that who are more on the power forward line maybe a, as far as someone a little bit less expensive wilson chandler could be a possibility jared dudley would would be interesting in san antonio also
2: how would you feel about magruder
1: yeah i'm not sure they feel like they want to wait for someone in restricted free agency though that, yeah, that's probably that, where that, it, that's true and, and hard to imagine that the Clippers aren't going to retain him I think that, that was a brilliant move by them and with his low cap hold he'll fit right in with what they're trying to do to give him uh, some decent depth hey Danny Green could be available I don't see him going back there though uh, yeah I mean it's, uh, someone at, at the two can make a little sense there It'd give you a little more size but then you know, the, the Rosen is just so hard to fit around man it's just really difficult because I mean, you just you have to play him at the three defensively and then you maybe hope that your four can guard the good three on the other team and then DeRozan guards the other team it's just it's so difficult when he can't guard anybody at all it's really difficult to fit around him what about for Denver sorry sorry that we're disjointed here but I mean exact same list of names right pretty much yeah
2: (laughs) I mean and, and for for Denver similarly they really don't need twos but you and I both feel that's Malik Beasley's position they have Gary Harris locked in they have Malik Beasley there
1: and Will Barton is a two
2: and Will Barton is a two so you're looking more on the forward line than the twos and even though shooting guard is a plenty narrow position in the league right now the three only guys are tough where you can't slide you can't really slide guys up
1: and Denver though for for their problem I think is because of what we're talking about with them in 2020 if they want to go the conservative route I was talking about yeah maybe you do give up more than a one year deal at the mid level now generally the history of the mid level exception other than PJ Tucker who's been one of the, the greatest signings that you could ever have with the the full mid level exception but generally those guys end up being pretty bad contracts and so what they can do with one year at that and then not impact their 2020 space at all or do they want to say all right we want to get someone who's going to help us a little bit more and now we're going to again negatively Impact our ability to get a real, true difference maker if such a player exists. I realize that's a risk in the summer of 2020, um but you know, certainly someone like Ariza, you would think, would be very high on Denver's wish list. Uh, part of why I'm disappointed that they never played against Golden State in Houston is and that they couldn't even get that far is because I really wanted to see how the Denver stacked up against those teams in a playoff setting and really figure out what they need now it's that's still a three more of a theoretical question at at this point
2: Denver also I mean I think Wancho could end up being a more capable option even I like Wancho better at the four that's true of a lot of guys who play small forward in the league right now but think there's a lot more there and I I hope that he gets the opportunity gets an opportunity and Denver could end up maybe and and, because remember they don't have a ton of extra roster spots either so like when I idea would be, you know, go for a few different guys and hope that something works out. And they could theoretically do that. And then just with the understanding that not all of them are going to make the team, but some players aren't going to be good with that. Even if it's a lot of money on there. It's like... yeah, it, it's, it's hard, and like I could see Mute being an interesting fit for them as kind of like a buy-low type of guy, more as a Millsap replacement rather than somebody who plays with him, but just to give them another look. But, I mean, he had a lost year due to injury, and that becomes a big problem.
1: Yeah, and he's 33 as well. All right, uh, fun one here. We'll be back on Wednesday night. Don't forget about the NBA cast, Bucks celtics which will be our Bucs-Celtics. No, Bucks raptors you fool. Bucks raptors uh, And uh, we had an awesome time doing the NBA cast for both Game 7s on Sunday. We really enjoyed that, so we hope that you will join us for some of these uh, iconic moments that that are really fun to do live. And uh, anything to talk about before we go on your end?
2: Yeah, my off-season preview of the Rockets came out on Monday, and then previews for the Nuggets and 76ers, the two Game 7 losers on Sunday, those came out on Tuesday, so you can check all of those out at The Athletic. And I don't know the exact chronology of the lottery teams, but those are going to start rolling out quickly i saved out the teams with the five highest lottery odds because it felt silly to write their offseason preview before we knew what happened now that we do those will start coming too all right
0: talk to you all on wednesday night till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment.